everybody. Welcome back to this podcast of Mainly Matters and Mainly Music. This is your host and podcast entrepreneur, Thomas Morelli. And, you know, part of the fun of what I get to do is talk to a lot of my friends, and in some cases, some of my heroes, and today, both, uh, who are in the main music scene. And all the way from Fort Kent to Kittery, everything in between. And uh, I get the pleasure today to interview and talk to a gentleman I've known for a long time. And turn your amps up to 11, because you're going to want to hear this one. And his name is Mr. from the band Dakota and other projects we'll talk about here, Mr. Vinny Cormier. Welcome, Vinny. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you getting up at this time. I know you guys in rock and roll. Oh, wait, never mind. You've been doing this too long to sleep in. Uh, <laughs> I just So we're just going to talk a bit today about your history and uh, the main music scene. And, and you know, we have sure. we have uh, musicians listening in, so I may ask you this little t- rig stuff or tech stuff or whatever. So feel free to just, uh, you know, riff off on whatever you want. Pardon the pun, riff. But uh, let's start with, I want to know, I've always wanted to ask, is Vinny your given name or is that short for something else? No, my, my, my full name is Vincent. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and Vinny is just like it, you know, like it's a, a, a nickname, and uh, yeah. that—that's you know, my parents called me Vinny, uh, and then you know, I just kept it Vinny. That's uh, about it. So. so, speaking of your parent, well, what's your middle name? I always have to know. Do you have a middle name? Say that again. A middle name? Yeah. Joseph. Joseph. Okay. So I can call <laughs> you. I could call you VJ. No, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> no, you know what? And, and, and it's funny because I have a nephew that's uh, Tom Jr. and we call him TJ. Oh, there you <laughs> I won't. I, I won't tell you what my wife calls me, but it has Tom and then a bunch of those swear word symbols. But that's that's, that's something else. So, did you? Speaking of your parents, uh, I was going to ask you. So, you were born and raised where? I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, no kidding. Then, yeah, and then. Um, in uh 19 i'm gonna date myself but 1975 uh i and in september i turned 17 and uh at the end of october my uh parents decide to uh pack up and move to canada Uh and that was a real hard that was a very hard move for me i uh didn't really want to go i uh was going to join the army uh i figured that vietnam was done a couple of years and i figured well you know i probably won't get in any kind of wars this probably would be the best time to join the army um and my mother had a fit uh, <laughs> no my mother's my mother was a, a canadian uh very much catholic through and through uh, kind of mom and uh, she was really good at laying the guilt trip on me. And she said everything from, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna die, or you name it. She spoke with a, she spoke English with a real thick French accent. Sure. So anyways, as a good kid, I moved up with my family up there. And uh, uh, I did my last, I finished my last year of school up there. And uh, which was, uh, a, uh, was a, for mobile home school. Where was this? Uh, what what part of Canada? It was in Rishibaktu, the Brunswick. Wow. Yeah. A little bit so of a, cu- from, a culture I shock. The, <laughs> huh? A little bit of culture shock from Boston area. Well, I'll tell you right now, 
you know how big the Boston area, you know, the North Shore. Yeah. It's just, it, it's like almost one big gigantic city. Right. Okay. I lived in a town called Saugus. Right. And Saugus, Mass. And um, yeah, I went from that to a fishing village of, at the time, it was a population of 2,000 and half of them spoke French. So it was real talk. Now, did, it was a tough move for me. Did did either one of your folks uh, have musical talent? Like, because I was wondering, did you use this? Uh, were you playing guitar already at this age, and did you use that yeah. to kind of help make friends, or what happened with yeah, that? What happened, what happened was, is uh, in high school, I'll tell you when I really got into music. Um, from the first grade to sixth grade, I would play the broom or the tennis racket. <laughs> yes. I, I, I saw I saw the Beatles and I would get my friends and we would pretend that we were in a I'd make them pretend they didn't want to do it all the time. But I sort of sort of was like the leader of the gang <laughs> and I would make them pretend that they were going to be in my band. Uh-huh. And we had like this fake. Yeah, we'd have this fake band. And <laughs> my neighbor had a, a a bar down in the basement. And we got to remember now, this is like late 60s, early 70s. And a lot of houses had their own little bar and, and, you know, place where the parents would all get together maybe sure. once a month and sit down and drink. So my friend had a really nice bar in his basement and uh, we would make that as a, you know, we use our imagination and pretend we were playing in front of a packed bar and, 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 uh, and that's how kind of like how it got us kind of got started. And then my father who played and sang uh, bought me a guitar because uh, I think he was more embarrassed. I was playing a tennis racket out in the street. <laughs> but he got me a nice guitar and showed me four chords. He saw, showed me C, A minor, F, and G. That's all he you needed in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. He said, this is, he said, you could play almost any song with that. And I would say within about, and my father was okay. He was, you know, my father was, wasn't a great guitar player. But he could play, and he played. He had his own, and he really, honestly, God had his own style. And um, and at, down the road, when I, you know, I was really a real musician, and had, you know, my father would play, and and like the guys in my band later on down the road would say, "Geez, you know, your father's pretty damn good for <laughs> for knowing only like maybe six or seven chords. He uses all those chords, you know." And, and so I was, you know, my dad was pretty good at that time, but he showed me those chords. And within a year or so, I kind of surpassed him. And uh, my dad was always very proud of me from the get-go. He was really, he seen something that maybe I didn't sort of, I didn't care. Because in my mind, I knew what, what I was going to do. Uh, even at a young age, this was what I wanted to do. I didn't care how good I was or how bad I was or if I couldn't sing or can't or or I could sing. I was just going to be in a band playing in a bar. And I left a low bar for myself. I didn't ever think I was going to be like one of the Beatles or anything like that, which I would. I, You know, when I was a kid, I dreamt, gee, you know, either John Lennon got sick and asked me, <laughs> then he saved the gig. You know how kids think. Yeah, but well, you know, how- uh, I was going to say that you and I are around the same age then because I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and yeah. uh, and it's just, I think a lot of us started this way. And then we can get back to what you're saying there because I have a You'd question. You're surprised but- that a lot of there's a lot of musicians, especially like around our age right now. Oh yeah, that 
If they said that they weren't in, if, if if they weren't influenced by the Beatles, they're lying to you. I hear you. They, they, they are because I'll tell you right now that that's really that made such uh, an impression in my life that that's that's all I wanted to do. You know, it's funny. My and, dad, uh, we were watching the Beatles, and and I at that point pointed. I said, "That's what I would like to do." And of course, this is when 1964, 65, somewhere in there. And he goes, "The Beatles? They'll never make it." <laughs> you know, and he's, he said, "You got to get a job." And I had the same thing. Now, you know. We were digging in. I was talking to somebody the other day about this that, you know, they said, what's the real reason you started playing guitar? And I said, well, because I love the music. Well, they said, yeah, but was there anything behind that? I remember what Paul Simon said, which is girls noticed guys with guitars. And I was like, hey, and for me, the dork syndrome worked out well because they're like, I wouldn't have any interest in this guy, but he's playing a guitar or at least he's playing a tennis racket. And that's kind of cool. You never had to tune the tennis racket, I bet. I'm telling you, I I was a fantastic i was like the eddie van halen back in my day before he was even known for as on 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 the tennis track. <laughs> that's right i love the cat gut strings personally i think those worked out oh, the best God. i used to be able to play that thing behind my legs behind my back <laughs> now uh, so you have a brother right was is it tommy is he yeah yep. tom so did uh, he- i have i have a couple of bro- i had a couple of brothers uh, i had an older brother his name was jack and he was a kind of a closet player. He he would play uh, only a, like only parties, and you wouldn't really say too much about him playing. But he, him as well kind of influenced me because um, he was my half brother. So he didn't live with us, mm-hmm. and he was much. He was a bit older than me. He was about nine years older than me. But when I was a kid, you know, I was when I was like ten years old. And he'd come over, and he was like 19 years old. And I found out, and then you got to remember back in the 60s and 70s, that was kind of like taboo, and that was kind of like, hush, hush, don't say nothing. Yeah. I didn't know I had an older brother till I was around nine. Sure. And when I found out, I was, it freaked me out <laughs> in, a, in a positive way. I, I, like, I, was, I was impressed because I used to call him Uncle Jack. And... Finally, I think my father said, you know, enough is enough. They got to find, they got to realize that's, that's not their <laughs> uncle. And, and I'm telling you, uh, he was, he would come in and, and, and harmonize with my father and they'd sing and we'd have like a big pizza party every time he came, he came over a couple of times a month. And I'll tell you, uh, that was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. This is what I really want to do. And my older brother, as much as my father pushed me, and my older brother t- used to tell me, you know, Vinny, you you can really do something with this. You 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 have what it takes to do something. And and I used to be, you know, all giddy because I I, I love my older brother, and for him to to have that uh, kind of like positive uh, feeling about what I was trying to do uh, just reinforced it. And then you know, and then I got my brother Tommy to play. It was. My brother Tommy didn't really care too much whether he played or not, but I wanted somebody to play. And uh, my brother uh, started playing guitar, and I talked him into playing bass. And uh, Tommy started developing uh, his his craft really at the age of fourteen. And we got into with a with a kid that had a drum set. His parents didn't mind us 
practicing down their basement and, and me, Tommy and, and, and our friend Gary at the time, um, we would jam and, and it was, and Tommy really learned to love it. Tommy really liked being in a band. So this is kind of, uh, the, the inception, uh, going back, uh, because I was going to ask you, I have to go back for a second. The guitar your father brought you. My my father bought me my first guitar at a local drugstore called Lavertiers, which isn't around anymore. It was thirty nine bucks, and it was a K cameo. It was a piece of crap, but it taught me to play before I got into my Fender instruments. Do you remember what was the first uh, guitar that your dad got you, and whatever happened to it? Do you still have it, or okay? Well, my father had a Vega, ah. uh, a Vega acoustic, and it was an expensive. It was expensive, very expensive. And it was his guitar. And he let me have, I took that everywhere. And then when I first started learning how to really play, I, I would show up in front of the kids hmm. and I would take it around the neighborhood. And I'm telling you, I fucking, excuse my language, scratch that. I mean, marks and everything. And my father would come home and say, geez, Benny, did you do that? And I said, like, <laughs> yeah, dad, I'm sorry. I won't touch it no more. And he said, no, you can touch it. He said, Benny, I don't mind you playing it, but be really, really careful. And I'll tell you, I I could not believe that my father would not, at that time, just buy me an old piece of crap yep. to ruin instead of something that nice. And then he bought me my real first, I think I was 15 years old, and I wanted an electric guitar. And he bought me a Greco. Yep. Uh, yeah, a Greco uh, double cutaway electric. And I remember he paid $125 back then. And that was like a pro approximately about five, a $500 guitar now. Sure. You know, and I'll tell you, it was a great guitar. I, and I bought it. We got it off a guy that played in a band. He was like about 19, 20 years old. And he was moving on to a, a real Gibson Les Paul. And, uh, but I was just, I couldn't believe that I was going to have something that Played in a bar, played out in these venues, with and people heard it. So I mean, I was very in tune to knowing this is what I wanted to do. So what, to even have a guitar that went through a little bit of that was like, I this is a piece of history. Now, what happened to that? Do you That's still have? I look at it. Do you still have the Greco? No, I sadly uh, traded that in. Believe it or not, for. Uh, my first Gibson, which was a Gibson Marauder. And I had that. Uh, and when I had my Gibson Marauder, I had a Gibson Marauder and I had a man Strat. It's spelled A-M-N-N, Strat. And and I'm telling you, I wish I would have kept the man Strat. You know, if you ever look, if you want to feel bad, I don't know if you've ever done this, maybe you have, my first $39 guitar, which I lit on fire and smashed on stage the night I was graduating from high school. That's a different story for a different time, but my mother was so disappointed. But uh, I looked on eBay, you know, not too long ago and anything from the 60s like that, even yeah. if it's not a Fender or a Gibson, are worth thousands of dollars. So I always said, oh, I wish I'd have kept that. So you obviously are one of those people like me. You know, I have to ask you real quick before I forget, you're, you're a, a thread that I see so often with musicians is that their parents were so supportive. In this case, your dad really giving you that, that hand. Is, are, are your parents still with us or is your dad still with us? No, my, my dad passed away a couple of years ago. I, I'm lucky because uh, I was 60 when my dad passed away. Wow. Yep. So you had yeah, a good long time. I, I was, 
I had I had my mother, my father, and my aunt um, all pass away uh, once I hit sixty. So I, I had I had them around for an awfully long time. They were able to see uh, the seeds that they planted, you know, took root and and oh yeah, what you've done. Oh yeah, my father, my father, uh, my father. It, it got to the point where it was embarrassing because when before my father got sick, if oh God help me, when I used to go in the store with him, <laughs> he stop, I'm not joking. He would stop people and 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 just randomly start a conversation and, and and it would always end up hey do you know my son Vinny right uh-huh. here yeah, he plays in the Dakota band blah, 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 blah. and and I'd be like yeah dad uh, yeah they know me I would get embarrassed by it wicked but at the same time I'd be like boy my father really you know <laughs> highly thinks of me well you yeah. know like that's worth so much. If you hear people talk about maybe a rougher childhood, nothing's well, easy. But if you got a supportive parent or parents, that's be, huge. Before my dad, I'll tell you right now, before my father passed away, uh, he told me something, and it would kind of irk me a little bit. But he said, you know, Vinny, he said, I was always jealous of your music. He said, what you've done in your life, I, that was what I wanted to do. He said, I always wanted to do it. I just didn't have, I didn't have that talent like you do right now. Not saying that I have any talent. This is just from my father saying this to me. And he said, uh, I didn't have the talent. He said, I I started a family at a young age, so I couldn't really pursue anything that I wanted to do. He said, I don't regret it. But he said, but I just want to let you know, uh, you know, I've been, I've been, always been jealous of you. What a tribute, and, though. Well, that that and is Benny amazing. Passed, Benny passed away within a month's time after that. And, and it kind of like, I, I knew he was always proud of me, but it, it kind of like made me feel a little weird because I felt like, wow, you know, I, you know, I, I have a son yep. who plays with me in a band. Who is fantastic. He's with me a, yeah, he's played with me for, uh, uh, well, he started with me when he was 13. He's 27 years old now. And I'm the only band member he's ever played with mm-hmm. he's never played with another band yet with anybody else and you know at the same time i'm i'm awfully proud of my son my son is tremendously tremendously talented he he's one of these guys that can touch anything and figure it out and then almost put it to the max. He's he's one of the greatest guitar players, and I know I'm biased, but he's as far as I, I'm concerned, he's one of the greatest guitar players right now in the state. I, I agree. He, and this is Dylan we're talking about. Yeah. Dylan Corby. He, yeah. He's a, he's, one of, he's, a, he's a great drummer. Great drummer. I mean, the kid could really come on his own as just as, just as a drummer alone. And then he's a great keyboard player. He, he's a great... I'm... I'm I don't think there's anything that maybe the bagpipes that he might not be able to figure out for a while. Now, what what was your dad's first name? My dad's first name was Vincent. I'm it's, a junior. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. So yeah. I, I, I'll be honest with you. That even ties into this point. I kind of hear Vincent Sr. coming through you talking about Dylan. You know, it sounds yeah. like he's he was your your dad was right on as far as we all want our kids to do better than us. So that was a supreme yeah. supreme compliment to tell you that uh, watching your career and and you know how blessed he was and the rest of your family to get to see you get to where you've gotten this at this point. You know, through through their 
their love and support as well. So I'm only looking at the clock here. I could talk to you for four hours, but we have uh, limited time. So I wanted to ask real quickly, uh, pre-Dakota, do you remember any of your original band names? Like, did you have bands before Dakota? And do you remember any of their names? Well, the first the first band that we ever had, we were called the Lightning Bugs. <laughs> I love the Lightning Bugs. All right, the Lightning Bugs. That's a tough and, rock and roll name. Yeah, and that was <laughs> uh, that was back in nineteen seventy five, seventy five to seventy seven. I was still in school, uh, and that was a Canadian band. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then uh, after that, I played with a band called Misty Fire. And, and and now you got to remember, this is Canadian bands. Misty Fire was a French rock and roll band that was already established. And these guys had their own material, and they played rock, but but they sang it in French. Wow. And uh, these guys, we went, like, in Europe. I, I mean, I cut my – this is where I really cut my teeth with the professional musicians – uh, these guys were like really top professional, uh, very prog at the time uh, music, and um, they they liked my style. Uh, the, the guitar player was leaving because his wife is having a baby, and the girl I was going out with at the time, you know, she said, "Hey, I have some friends that are having a big party. Uh, you know, come on and check them out." And, she bragged to them that I was a guitar player and uh, that one thing led to another. We ended up jamming that night. And the only problem with that band was, is they basically spoke French <laughs> and I only spoke English. So there was a language barrier there. And, uh, and it got to the point though, that I used to mock them. What, and cause I wouldn't sing, you know, I didn't know what they were singing. And then after a while, I kind of figured how they kind of like the gibberish. I do a gibberish thing that came close to what they were singing and I would do like a high harmony, and they they freaking loved it. <laughs> so they told me they they said from now on you're having a mic in your face, and you're going to start singing the third harmony because you got believe it or not, believe it or not, uh, we used to do a couple of Pat Benatar tunes, and I would sing them. Wow. And the thing that the the only thing the only rub about the whole thing is is I sounded exactly like Pat Benatar. And everybody was wondering, where the, where's the girl on, on stage? <laughs> were, you, were you saying, hit me with your best lay shot? You know, that's kind of Well, rich. you know what? It was something <laughs> like that. But, but it, was, it was kind of embarrassing for me. And, and you know, I, I would t- intentionally try to get my voice to be real rough because I didn't want to sound like a girl. And, and the thing I regret is I probably damaged my voice doing that. And I probably could have been right now a good, a good tribute singer for Journey if I never screwed my voice <laughs> up. That way. So, but, so uh, where where did uh, take me up to the time Dakota? Around what year did that name come about? When did that band form? And and uh, the other thing about that is through the years it's had a lot of moving parts. The one constant in Dakota who's played, and we'll talk more about where you guys play and what you're doing currently. But uh, you've been kind of the constant. Your brother Tommy was in it. There's been so many yeah. great musicians over the years. I've heard your band multiple times and pff, always yeah, blew me away we're lucky. yeah very very lucky to have the musicianship that we always had in that band uh we we were fortunate because dakota never really went in we never really went in a decline we just you know it was just like it was like right uh, i'll put it to you like this dakota was like riding a bike for about a thousand miles 
And within those thousand miles, you get a flat tire. What do you do? You pull over, put another tire on, but you still get the bike. You might have a newer tire, but you still get the bike. And you keep pedaling and pedaling. And when the front tire blows out, you put another tire in. You still, and that I think that's how me and Tommy were. We were we were like the bike, right? And the other musicians were like the tires, and we would replace them with a newer one and replace them. And it and it bode real well for us because we never had anybody leave the band uh, mad at us or anything. They they usually left. We never fired anybody. We always seemed to be lucky to have these guys that were willing to travel, and we would travel a lot. I mean, we would oh, travel far. We would we would go from uh, Newfoundland all the way down to um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, ben, uh, Vancouver and and back. Seven eight months on the road. Wow! And uh, yeah, and and I've seen I've seen musicians where they were married when they when we first started touring, and then they weren't married anymore. <laughs> yeah, we can relate. Oh, yeah. I can relate. So when did Dakota actually start? Like, what year roughly would you say? Nineteen eighty five is when Dakota started, and our uh, before that, me and Tommy was in a band called Silver Wings. And that wasn't our band. That was, we both, my brother, I was playing in a rock band called Rendezvous by that time. Tommy was playing with Silver Wings and Tommy kept bugging me to join the, those guys. And uh, at the time, Tommy asked me, he said, how much you make in a, you know, for a week? And I told him 250 bucks. And back then that was really good yeah. money. Yeah. Um, so Tommy talked to the guys in the band and said, look at, uh, if we get my brother, that's the missing piece we're, we're, we're missing. And he, he kind of got them to pay me $375 for a week. And I don't know if they took a pay cut or nothing because it was none of my business. Just they off. That's what they offered me. Mm -hmm. And um, I joined. So and at that time, believe it or not, the band I was playing with Rendezvous, uh, they were all tired of being on the road and they wanted to do other things. So it really it was just really worked out really well. So I went with Silver Wings, and uh, that band, we had a hell of a singer at that band, uh, and we ended up touring, and we uh, got nominated for the CCMA, uh, CMA Awards, uh, both for, I believe it was 83 and 84 for uh, Band of the Year and Backup Band of the Year. And uh, that's, and we were playing with, like, we were playing with like real big country artists because Silver Wings was a country band. Mm -hmm. And when I joined, it turned to be more of a Southern rock band because I was a rock musician and these guys were like really uh, good country players and they kind of adapted to my style. And I had some, I had some really major influences with those guys. And that's why they grabbed me because they figured this is, you know, this is the way we want to go. Wait a minute. And, um, Wait, Vinny Cormier played in a country band. Come on. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 it, it was a, it was a country band, but it, it we were like, uh, I'll, uh, we ended up doing a show with, uh, uh, George Strait. Yep. Wow. And George Strait's, uh, yeah, I never really talk about this stuff because, you know. Well, that's why you're here. We need to have you spill your well, musical well, guts. the reason why I never talked about it, I'm, 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 I've always been a rocker. Right. And this was, I, I figured this was a good time for me to make money. And that's how I seen this part. And now I appreciate it now. But, no, we played with uh, uh, George Strait. 
And uh, it was George Strait's uh, manager that came up and said, you know what, you guys are the Canadian answer to Alabama, because Alabama at that time was really big. Sure. And he uh, he got us into, uh, there was a record company called Comstock Records out of Kansas City, and they uh, wanted to sign us. And uh, unfortunately, our singer at the time, we were on the road. We just got off the road after about a, almost a complete year tour. And um, he got an OUI and got arrested. And uh, that kind of screwed the deal up. So they figured we had some internal problems and didn't want to sign us. So that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for a while. And then we got together with Steve Warner uh, for a little while. Uh, he was doing some dates up in Canada, and we ended up being his opening act. And actually, at that time, we were doing more Southern rock than uh, Southern rock than uh, uh, what do you call it? Country. Mm -hmm. we, we were really a Southern rock. We were almost like an Alabama, uh, not an Alabama, but we were like a um, what do you call it? Greg Almond's, like almost an Almond Brothers type band. Sure. That, that, uh, didn't mean to be that way. That's just the way it went. And there was times that Steve Warner and his brother, he has a brother named Terry Warner, who's a really good guitar player. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people know that. I have seen but, him on stage, yes. Yeah, Steve and Terry would come and uh, they would uh, jam with us. Wow. That's... Before, they would do it, before he would do his show. <laughs> That's amazing. That was really, that was, that was pretty cool. And I, me and Steve, uh, I got to hang out with Steve. Uh, he, he loved playing golf. And I, you know, I never really liked golf and I sucked at it. I almost took a couple of people's heads off playing golf with Steve, but it, yeah. So, you know, so I was lucky there. And then, uh, then me and Tommy decided let's start our own band. We get, we know we have something, we know what we want to do. And, uh, in 85, we kept our manager. Our manager at the time was, uh, the one that got Hank Snow famous hmm. and his name was Doug Taylor. So let me move move us up only only for time's sake. God, I could make two podcasts out of this, and maybe I will someday. But I apologize. I no. apologize. It's just no. You're doing great. This is what this is what we wanted to know. But uh, because now I remember I was in a band called Bootleg back in the, the '80s, and we used to play at Stacy's in Brewer, which yep. is where I met you. And I'll never forget the day we were loading out, and Dakota was loading in, and we were like. The big band at Stacy's Country, we were more country, country rock, but uh, we'd heard so much about you. And down the stairs you came. And, of course, you you kind of had a Bob Seger-like leather and long hair attitude. And we're like, yeah. these people are going to kick our asses. Get out of the way. <laughs> so, But it turned out that it was perfect. You guys were like the number one at Stacy's. The crowds loved you. We would rotate. Sometimes we'd play a week. You'd play a week. It was a great mix and i'd come down and hear your band to get just blown away by the talent and ability you guys are so great but i remember going this guy looks really tough and it turned out that you had a, a heart of gold but this is not a musical question but just because you look like a guy that could come down and, and kick all our asses does anything ever scare you do you have anything in your life where you go oh shit i don't like this situation anything this is an off the wall question but just uh you know anything? Well, i'm gonna tell you something about stacy's I love Stacy's now. I think Stacy's, uh, I think that's one of the best bars I've ever played in. Yep. But before we ever played Stacy's, we played in Massachusetts. We played in New Hampshire, played up uh, in Presque Isle uh, before we even played at Stacy's. We played um, 
we played at one club there in uh, Ellsworth, and I don't know if Stacy had anything to do with that one, but there was we but we played in uh, in Portland, in Massachusetts, uh, Upper State New York at the time, and then uh, I remember Doug Taylor telling me, "Hey, you're going to be playing at Stacy's," and we only remembered Stacy's as Stacy's Jamboree because in Nova Scotia they would air Stacy's Jamboree, right, and. Uh, so I figured, holy crap, you know. So I figured, geez, probably who knows? You know, when the guys were laughing and saying, "Oh my god, <laughs> we're gonna go," and, and I and I said, "Well, guys, you know what? He's on TV." I said, "Dude, the dude probably has a, like one hell of a big club and everything," you know. So we go in. I think I think the very first time we came in Stacy's, we were coming from New York. Yes, and. We drove in, and I'll never forget it either. And we drove in, and the woman behind the desk was like losing her, losing it. <laughs> and, and so now, and I'm going to be honest with you, we never thought of ourselves other than just being a good rock and roll road band. That's it. You know, we weren't no step. So she's just losing it. And I'm, so, and I, I didn't forget her name too, but she was married to the guy that was playing drums for, and he was doing work for as a like a janitor or something at Stacy's at the time. I can't can't think of his name right now, but um, for Coyote, the drummer for Coyote. Oh sure, yep. You know who I'm talking about? I do, but my mind's gone blank too. You know, I am over sixty. Yeah. So, so anyways, we go in. And I said, well, here's the motel. The bar can't be that far. We walked in, and uh, uh, she didn't say nothing. She just kind of, like, had this, like, real big smile on her face. And I said, where's the bar? And she goes, oh, my God. She goes, it's downstairs. So we go downstairs, and I'm looking around, and I looked at my brother Tommy. Now, not to knock anything off of Stacy, but we played usually – Big clubs like three hundred seaters and plus. Sure. And if you played anything like for a two hundred seater or something like that, it's usually called a tavern up in Canada. So when I went downstairs to Tommy, Tommy says she must have think we wanted something to drink. <laughs> I swear to God, this is a true story. So I go back upstairs and I said, "Yeah, where, where's Stacy's bar?" She goes downstairs. And I'm not joking. This is kind of, I shouldn't even tell you this because it makes the sons look stupid. Me and the whole band, we're looking for another bar that's <laughs> downstairs. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, like, I went where the bar was, and I'm thinking there's going to be like a movable wall or something. And then it's like a big thing. So after about 10 minutes, I go back up to her and I said, Listen, I said, I don't want to be a pain in the ass. I said, We just drove all night long. Can you just at least come down and show us where the band's supposed to set up in that? So she goes down and she points at this like little stage. Oh yeah. And he looks at me and the guys and I and we didn't mean to make must have made a face or something. She goes, "Oh my god, is this something wrong?" I said, "Well, not really." She says, "Do you want me to call Dick?" I said, "No, don't worry about it." I said, "But we're supposed to set up everything here, right?" She goes, "Yeah." I said, how do you? How does he expect to pay us? 
Because <laughs> at the time, at the time, Dick, I mean, it, it cost them a lot of money for us to come down. Oh, yeah. And um, and I that, I was like, I looked at Tommy, and as soon as she went back upstairs, I said to Tommy, get on the phone, call Doug, and tell him, what the hell is he pulling? And we <laughs> called him, and he assured, kept assuring us, Vinny, don't worry about it. You guys are going to get paid. Don't worry about it. If you don't pay you, I'll pay you. Don't worry about because we wanted to. We were tired. We've been on the road for quite a few months. We just wanted to get up and leave. Now, Vinny, so, you probably remember. I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but the the stairs you'd you'd load in that back up door out of the because uh, we did this a hundred times at bootleg and come down those kind of skinny stairs. And back yep. back then, particularly without solid state equipment as it isn't, that some of the the PA particularly and the lights were huge and heavy, and to maneuver with the PA and the and the lights, we, <laughs> we used to travel with a B three. Yeah, I remember that. How did you get that B three down over the stairs? There's a there was times that one of us almost died a couple of times <laughs> on the stairs under a B three. It was it, that was awful. Yeah, uh, really, really awful. The technology. Back then wasn't as good as the technology now. You can right. get these small little uh, ca- uh, Casios now that sound almost like a B3. Of course. But at the time, it wasn't like that. We were in better shape. We were in much oh. better shape back then. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know what? But it was still, it was still, it was dangerous. So know? listen, you know what but, I have to do here? I hate to do this because we are, we're pretty close to out of time and I want to get a quick little information. I am going to have to invite you back again because there's a lot more that we want to know. I wanted to get your history down here, which is true, but I want to make sure I, that. I apologize. I apologize. No, no, this is perfect. I, I knew I had a lot of questions for you and I knew we could probably split this into two podcasts. So we'll, we'll do this again. And, but I want to also make sure people know that. Uh, you have a tribute band to Ozzy Osbourne as well as yeah. Dakota playing. So, uh, and this Ozzy thing, you've got down. You look like him. You sound like him. I noticed you you let your son take the guitar playing duties. So you come out and do the whole shtick. I mean, it's fantastic. So if if, if people want to book it, see it, how do people find Dakota on either Facebook or any other method, as well as the Aussie tribute band? How do people know where you're playing? Yeah, basically everybody uh, goes on Facebook and uh, they go under Dakota and like the state of Maine, Dakota, Maine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's basically it. We do have a website too, crazytrain.com. Uh, I, no, I apologize. It's crazytrainmaine.com. And that's our website for the crazy train. For the crazy train, I'll tell you right now, uh, the crazy train has the same members as it ha- does as Dakota. And now the Dakota band, um, th- basically Dylan hired all those guys. And they're all, uh, I think the oldest guy in my band, other than me, is 28 years old. <laughs> there you go. There's the guys that carry the equipment for you. And they're fantastic. And I'm going to tell you right now, they all all those guys are fantastic really musicians my brother tommy actually seen us play about a month and a half ago and the first thing he said was he says i hope you guys are getting paid exactly what you guys are worth because he says i'll tell you right now he says i wouldn't be playing in these clubs you shouldn't even be in this club and he's in Vinny. he says i'll tell you right now he says i wish i would have kept in better shape like you he says but he says, here's one advice that I give you. And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. He said, don't ever quit what you're doing until you're ready to quit. 
because he says you will regret it. Yep. And I and I thought that was an an honor, uh, uh, like an honor, an honor badge on me for my brother to say that because there was times when me and my brother didn't always see eye to eye, and there was a and we you know it, it just and that happens with bands you know yes. sometimes, and um, for him to say that and I knew he really meant it. Uh, he quit drinking uh, about five six months ago. Finally quit drinking. Um, because he was a bad alcoholic, and and that's what happens when you live in this life that we live. Yep. Back then, seven days a week. Yeah. Now it's not like that anymore. It's more or less. You're lucky if you play four nights a week. Right. But back then, you and me, we used to play like seven. We used to play like twenty four nights a week. I mean, well, twenty four nights almost in a month before you had that first night off well and boredom sets in you know a lot of times especially if you're staying in a hotel room and i know we didn't play as much as you guys but we certainly played that 20 21 nights a month and and sometimes drinking is a diversion because you're bored you're lonely you miss your loved ones Uh, a couple things real quickly to close out with here but uh, i'm glad first of all i'm glad to hear tell tommy i said hello and i always appreciated his bass playing is fantastic and we'll get him on here sometime and talk about his bro but uh what uh one of the things about playing in the band that transcends money is the experience. Can you, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, can you quickly just tell me maybe if is there a worst experience playing in the band that you had, whether it was an audience or something to get there to gig, or, and what maybe a best one was? I know there's a lot of them, but a, just anything come to mind for worst and best band experiences? Okay. My worst experience is... Uh... You, you you know of Joan Kennedy? I do, yes. Okay. Uh, Joan had this gig out in the Air Force Base up in the Brunswick somewhere. And she needed a band to open up for her. And then it turned out that she needed a band not to only open up, but to back her up. Joan's a good friend of mine. She she was great. But all us guys, you, you, you knew how long our hairs used to be, so... <laughs> Here we are. We're going in this Air Force base, and all those guys looked at like, "What the hell just walked in here?" And it was, it was. They loved the, they loved the music. Don't get me wrong, they loved the music. Yep. But they were, they gave us a hard time. It was like, was it like Gimme Three Steps? (laughs) It was like Gimme Three Steps, or uh, you know, uh, Turn the Page. Well, (laughs) Well, I'll tell you right now. I talked to the Colonel. That had this was ahead of the celebration, and I asked him. I said, as a smart ass, I said, "Hey, what advice would you give us long-haired guys uh, in the band for life?" And he looked at me, and I, this is a quote that I live by to, even to this day. You can even ask my wife. He looked at me and he said, "Happy wife is a happy life." <laughs> yeah, hey, man, brother. Uh. I do not believe that's what he told me. And, <laughs> At the time, it didn't make sense because I was single then. But yeah. boy, you know what? Yeah, he's right. That's right. And the and one of the best gigs I ever played, which just happened just about a month ago. Um, earlier this year, I almost died of COVID pneumonia. Oh boy! And um, yeah, it was really bad. I uh, I was lucky. My doctor said I'm a walking miracle. I was sick. I was sick. I was. I stopped playing for a month. Because I was two two of those weeks, I was in the hospital fighting for my life. Um, my uh, oxygen level went down to seventy one, and 
the doctor said how you didn't get a cardiac arrest he says it, it, it be he, he said i got eight doctors and we're looking at each other like how did you survive that wow. alone so i had eight, i had nine doctors working on me because because uh, at first it was kind of like misdiagnosed and if i would have went to the hospital the very first time i went in I went and went through all that. So they felt like, hey, we got to get this guy through somehow. I was lucky. They wanted to vent me. My wife and my son made the horrible decision to not vent me. They said, don't vent him. Because they said, if you vent him and he and he pulls through and he can't sing, uh, he probably would rather die. Yep. Now, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, holy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would regret it, but I don't know. Cause I'll tell you when you're laying there, it's, it's, it's hard, but my son got me, uh, uh, get well video from my all time idol who is the guy's name is Michael Starr, and he's a singer for steel Panther. steel Panther. Yeah. Yeah. And I love steel Panther. I think they are, they are my favorite band in the whole world. Well, that was the thing that kicked me in the butt. Because we partied with those guys a couple of years, for the last couple of years. Every time they were down in Maine, me and Dylan would wind up in the back in their either in their you know tour bus or or, or any kind of party, and we'd hang out with those guys. Those guys are fantastic people. Well, he gave me this uh, uh, get well message, and then uh, we went and saw the, and then you know I I went back on the road, uh, played all summer long. And just about a month ago, I did a cameo, which is on YouTube, with uh, uh, with um, Steel Panther. Uh, I got dressed up as Ozzy, and me and Michael's uh, star did uh, Crazy Train. I saw that. It's, it's excellent. That's on YouTube. Well, how do they find They look up Steel Panther on YouTube to see this? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Go, I, I, just all you have to do is go on YouTube, uh, uh, type out Steel Panther uh Aussie times too, and <laughs> it, it's uh, when they played up in Hampton Beach, and I'll tell you, though Michael Starr was so touched that his get well message really helped pulled me through. I guess he told a lot of different people, and uh, the guys in his band told me, you know what, just to let you know that he's really touched by that, and um, it, you know, it, but I was more touched that my son would really go out and do that for me yeah that's you know I mean? awesome the message was beautiful and everything but for my son to know exactly what to do because i was drowning at the time he's the one that threw me the life the, the life jacket or the you know what i mean or, or the lifeline and and i grabbed it and if it wasn't for that i don't know you know i don't know i, I just it made me realize that my son needed me and my, you know, I always kid my son. I say, "Hey, I got a couple of couple of more years to go." And he always re refers me to Uncle Ted, Ted Newton. He says, "Dad, the age of Uncle Ted." He says, "You you still got a lot of good years left." <laughs> and I keep telling Dylan, "Yeah, but Dylan, you know, someday I'm, I I can't keep doing this forever." I said, "You can't just roll me out in a wheelchair <laughs> and put my teeth in, and I'm going to start singing again." So I said, "Just you know, just let's enjoy what we got right now." And let's hope we can keep it going for a couple of more years. Hey, if I said if I can last for four or five more years, I said I'm going to call it a day and say I, I'm. I got it. I got away with a lot more than a lot of other musicians at my age did. 
So well, we're glad you did, and I, you know, as Tom Brady says, I'm going to play till I suck, and so uh, I think yeah. that's, and I feel the same way. I show up at gigs sometimes. I'm carrying an amp, and someone says, "You're here to pick up your son." I'm like, "No, I'm in the band." But you know, yeah. so but your son's tribute to you, and that that's just it goes right from uh, uh, Vince Vincent Senior through you and th- to him, and so and you have the last thing you have yep. a grand, granddaughter, right? You have a little because you have a wife, yes, son. I got a, grand, I got a granddaughter. There's somebody to live for. She looks like my granddaughter looks like that. She will be the next singer, possibly keyboard player for Dakota when she gets older. As long as she's and, not a drummer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you know what though? She's starting to play drums too. Oh man, okay. She's only three and a half. Wow. Fantastic. Three and a half, yeah. Yeah. Well, she's a sweetie. I had the pleasure of photographing her when she was just a little, little newborn, and she's terrific. Well, Vinny, I hate to do this. We, we'll do this again sometime because I want to catch up more with you. Some other guy got a whole list of questions here I've wanted to know, but I'll have to hang on to them. So, folks, be sure to check out Vinny Cormier and the Dakota Band and the Aussie Tribute Band all on Facebook. And, and if you're thinking of booking, these guys are great. So, you know, I would love to see them uh, get uh, calls on that. Not that you need my help. But anyway, uh, love you, buddy. You are terrific. And I wish you the best of luck and best of health. I'm so glad you came through that. And I really appreciate you uh, coming on today. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. And God bless everybody. All right. This is Tom Morelli saying goodbye for this episode. Again, thanks to Vinny. This was terrific. And we'll be back next month. I'm going to be talking to more folks in the main music scene, both those on stage and those behind the scenes to see how things are going from Fort Kent to Kittery, everywhere in between, even with a pitlock. Look that up. Google that. So uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much. And it's great to be. I hear a little baby in the background. That sounds like a keyboard player wants to get on. Tell her she'll be on here in the future if I can take my vitamins to stay healthy. I, I definitely will. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay, folks, have a great month. We'll talk to you next month.